Good morning, Dorisville. Yeah. Well, that one will make you think. I'll guarantee you. Dave leaned up and said, I think they're watching this one. We are so glad. Great crowd today. Hey, Donnie, you may want to go make some more cups for the Lord's Supper. Might just need a few of those or you'll have to share a cup. I don't know. Don't know. We are so glad that you're here. Well, listen, I don't know when it was, but it was probably, I know it was sometime after Africa. We came back from Africa in the spring. And, and again, it wasn't like I had this huge call to go and be a missionary. You know, it wasn't anything like that at all. But I came back with just a mind full of things and things that happened and analyze, you know, analyzing and going, God, what's next? And I really didn't mean that for me as much as for us. God, God, where do you want to take our church? I've been your pastor now for 11 years. Matter of fact, I think next, next Sunday is, is 11 years. And I'm going, God, what is next? What do you want us to do? And so that led me to the thought, okay, Dwayne, as the leader, what would you like? And, you know, we old pastor, and I think Brent would say this, and Dave would say this, the standard Baptist pastor answers. I said things like, well, I'd like, I'd like to see people saved. And that, that's really cool. And, and then I, I, would like, I would like to see unity in the church. I'd like to see every time we show up, it's like awesome. I mean, like, wow, God is really here. I, I'd like to see us developing ministries that were reaching people and touching people's lives in conjunction with our One People, One Faith, One Heart logo, kind of living that thing out like we do in the back of school in just a few weeks. Those kind of thoughts popped in my head. And then I pondered that for a while. And then I asked this question of myself. I said, okay, why don't you ask the people? Why don't you ask them what kind of church they want Dorisville to be? And then I imagined, you know, I said, well, you know, I think probably a lot of the same things that the pastors would want, I think you guys would want. And we would probably add things like, you know, we would like to have a great youth program. You know, people, we want our kids to have the best youth program possible. We'd like the best choral program that's possible. We would add things like that that people look for in a church. And, and we want things that would minister to us. We want to make sure that in our hour of need that someone, the, one of the pastors or the deacons were there for us. Those kind of things. And that was all really cool and that was justifiable. And I was prepared to kind of do that. And then I realized about five weeks ago that it really wasn't what I wanted. And it really wasn't what you wanted. We were asking the wrong people. It was kind of like what God wanted. And so I came up with the idea. And I know this is a very familiar scripture today. And Matthew chapter 16 happens to be one of my favorites. Okay. Matthew 16, 13. Go and get your Bibles out. Be turning there. It's on the sermon sheet. Also, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. Okay. But, but you know, I, I got the idea of know-it-all. Now, when you say know-it-all, it normally carries kind of like a negative connotation. Doesn't it? Come on. Doesn't it? You know, no one wants to be called a know-it-all. Except for, think about this. If you were having brain surgery, wouldn't you kind of want to know it all, brain surgeon? I mean, you would want that doctor to know your brain inside and out, or the brain inside, so he could really, really do an effective job of operating on your brain. Or maybe if your car needs a major repair. Now, if it's, if it's spark plugs and wires, no big deal. But what if you've got an internal failure? What if you've thrown a rod? Okay? You don't want to just, you don't want a shade tree mechanic that maybe you know, kind of knows what he's doing. You want a know-it-all mechanic. You want someone who can go in there and know exactly how to tear your engine down and put it back together again. And it occurred to me that that's exactly the kind of church that God's Word tells us to be. 
a know-it-all church. Not in an arrogant way, not in a prideful way, but a kind of church that knows God and knows what's on the heart of God. And that's kind of the thrust of the message that we have today. You know, the Bible said, we talked about this last Sunday in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Would you say that with me, please? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I I quoted Adrian Rogers who said, it's not the truth that sets you free as much as it's knowing the truth that sets you free. And when we understand what kind of church God wants us to be, this know-it-all church, we're going to find incredible freedom and fulfillment and purpose and and all the things that the positive things that we wanted it to be in that video all of a sudden becomes exactly that. And this is huge. This this whole scripture is huge because you've got 12 guys, one of which, as you know, is going to betray Jesus. But you've got 12 guys. And what Jesus has done, he's chosen 12 ordinary people and he is pouring his life into them. And their job is going to be to carry on the mission. They are the plan A of Jesus Christ. You talk about responsibility. You talk about a mission. Jesus takes these guys and says, okay, I'm going to pour myself into you because you don't really understand it yet. But in a few weeks, you're going to be, I'm going to be gone and you're going to be left behind. And it's going to be all up to you to get the message that I'm teaching you out to the world. That's big. So it was important that they knew all about Jesus, who he was, and what he wanted them to do. And you know what? That's us today. It's grown from 12 to billions. But the bottom line is, the church is God's plan A. And if the message is going to get out, if the world is going to be transformed, We have got to be that plan A, and we've got to know all about God and His plan. So we want to start out this morning. I think we're only going to go halfway through this message. We'll see how time pans out. The first thing I think God wants us to know is the spiritual climate around us. I mean, mean, really understand the spiritual climate around us. Here's what Jesus said. So Jesus came, and I'm in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came unto the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples a question. Here's what he asked. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Jesus poses a question. They've landed in Caesarea Philippi. He looks at the 12 guys, okay? And he goes, guys, what's the word on the street? How are the people reading me? What is the spiritual climate, as far as I'm concerned, with the man on the street? And that's such an important question. Hey, guys, how do you think people are seeing me? That's a valid question. But more importantly, I believe it's a valid question for us, the church, today. In fact, I'll go this far. I believe that if Jesus were standing in the 21st century, he would ask us, Brent, this question. What is the spiritual climate where we live? This is huge. You want to know why? I tell you what. Thursday and Friday, the Taylors are packing up and we're going to Florida. Hallelujah. Amen. And praise the Lord. 
Now, I kind of know the weather in Florida. But suppose I didn't. Suppose I'd never been to Florida in my life. What I would do is, I would get on the internet, and I would start going to different weather sites and determining what the weather was going to be like. Because I need to know how to dress. If I'm going to have a good time in Florida, I've got to know how to dress. Wouldn't it be a shame to show up in Florida where it's 95 degrees with an overcoat? With sweatpants and sweatshirts? Don't you suppose, unless you're rescued by Walmart, that it would be a pretty uncomfortable week? Do you think I could have an effective vacation? No, no, no. We find out ahead of time how to pack. And it's important, if we're going to be the, the plan A that God wants us to be, we've got to know. We've got to know the spiritual climate. Really. So, let me ask you a question. What's the spiritual climate of America? Now, don't give me what you want to say. You know, we want to say, America, the Christian nation. America, that one nation under God. We, we want to say, America, the chosen nation of God. That, that's cool. And probably 75 years ago, a lot of that may have been true. But what is the spiritual climate in America today? Really? Because you've got to know the spiritual climate if you're going to address the issues of the day. The truth is, America has changed. To some degree, and to a large degree, definitely the leadership of our country over the decades has moved further and further and further away from God. And now, listen, it's almost in some circles, like it's not just separation of church and state, it is anti-God. We want to leave God out of the picture. We've got to understand that. You've got to understand what makes people think that way if you're going to reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the spiritual climate of our nation? What is the spiritual climate of our state? You would probably reply, ask Chicago. We don't know. Come on, amen. You know, everybody knows Chicago calls the shots. But let's get home. What's the spiritual climate of Harrisburg? What is the spiritual climate of Harrisburg? I um, had the privilege of praying at the city council meeting. I think it's really cool that the, the mayor instituted, if I understand correctly, the program of when he gave him the office of having an invocation at the beginning of the city council meeting. How cool is that? Harrisburg is a good place to live. But what is the spiritual climate of Harrisburg? If you remember several weeks ago and read what Randy Davis wrote in the, um, in the Sling Selections, you know this. That when they did a survey of our state, percentage-wise, that Harrisburg and El Dorado, our area, was li- listed as one of the highest lost rates in the state. Hello? The highest lost rate, percentage-wise, proportionately, in the state. Think about it. Think how many people you drive by every Sunday as you go to church. How many cars are still parked in the garage? We see it in some of the decisions that are made in different bodies in our community that really leave God out of the equation. So what is the climate of our community? We need to know that. If we're going to minister here in Harrisburg, we've got to know that. What's the political climate 
in your neighborhood? What's the political climate with the next four or five houses that you live around? That changes dramatically, I think. Maybe just the way it manifests itself. Because if you live over in Southwest Acres or Country Club Hills or where I do on Main Street with the historic homes... It'd be awful easy to say, well, most of the people seem to be genuinely happy. I'm assuming most of them are Christian. But then if you're asking folks who live in housing, they would tell you, let me tell you about my community. Let me tell you about my neighborhood. My neighborhood is where two doors down, there's drug dealing going on. It's not uncommon in my neighborhood for a fight to break out and no one come to the rescue. It's not uncommon in my neighborhood for the police To be there all the time. But here's the deal. Whether it's Southwest Acres or Highway 13 or whether it's Country Club, guess what? Lost people. They just manifest their lostness in different ways. Often people with affluence, with wealth, with even medium income will find their gods at places like cars and houses and those things. But they're still lost. Often because they don't have that resources, people in lower income areas will often show their losses through habits such as drinking and smoking and drugs. But does either one change the situation? They're lost. And God wants us to understand whether it is Southwest Acres or Country Club or Highway 13 or Doris Heights or whether the housing projects here or the housing projects there, wherever it might be, God wants us to get a grasp of the spiritual climate. He wants us to know it all about the people that we minister to in Harrisburg. So what is the spiritual climate, he says? What do men say? About me. They speak up. And this is, you know, you've heard this so many times. First they say, well, you know, there are some people who say, you're kind of like John the Baptist. And then he said, there are some people, though, that they would compare you to Elijah. And then there's some folks who would compare you to like Jeremiah. And then he said, there's some who would, like, pick a prophet. You know, you know, will of fortune. You put the prophets on a wheel and you give it a spin. And they kind of think you're like that prophet. Have you ever wondered how those diverse opinions got there? I don't know. But can I give you perhaps a way it happened? Perhaps maybe some of the folks that were saying, well, you know, he kind of reminds us of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, there are two things about John the Baptist. One was, was that he had a fresh new message. His way, his way of presenting the truth was radical, you know, because, again, the Pharisees, who were the teachers of that day, they were rigid, they were stale. But here comes John the Baptist, and yes, his message was hard, but it was fresh. And I'm telling you, was the teachings of Jesus fresh? Oh, it was a fresh wind blowing through the Middle East when Jesus Christ walked on this earth. But also, John the Baptist, what did he say? Repent! Turn back from your sin! He wasn't afraid to say it to the Pharisees. He wasn't afraid to say it to anyone. Repent! And certainly Jesus did his fair share of that. He looked at the, the Pharisees 
and said, you're nothing more than whitewashed tombs. You're all pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man bones. Wouldn't you like to have him for a pastor? Or, or, but then there's this. A woman taken in adultery in the very act. Ye without sin cast the first stone. And then he looks at her after they'd all walked away. Woman, where are your accusers? Who, who accuses you? No man, Lord. Neither do I condemn you then. But repentance, go and sin no more. Maybe some of them were in the crowd that day. Maybe some of them were at the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus said, I'm telling you, you've heard thou shalt not murder. I'm just telling you, when you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. I don't know. But maybe that happened. Maybe the ones who said, he's kind of like Elijah. You know, Elijah was the miracle working prophet. I mean, he, he, you know, people came back to life and stuff with Elijah. So maybe they saw Elijah and said, he, boy, he's like Elijah. Elijah was a miracle working God and, and a prophet. And, and Jesus is this miracle working teacher. Jeremiah. Maybe the ones, maybe the ones who saw Jesus as Jeremiah was there that day when Lazarus was going to be raised. Maybe they saw the great teacher weep. Maybe, maybe they saw how he was troubled in the spirit. Hey, hey, maybe they're at the village name. When the funeral procession was coming toward him and, and the woman's only son, and she was a widow, had died and he had compassion on her. Maybe they saw that picture and said, no, Jesus is like Jeremiah, the, the compassionate prophet. My point is this. There's at least reasonable suspicion that perhaps because Jesus was in the flesh, he could not be everywhere at that time. Maybe... Maybe they saw snapshots of Jesus that were all right, but not totally right. And they saw him either as the repentant preacher, or they saw him as the miracle worker. They saw him as the weeping prophet, the compassionate one. But they didn't get the whole glimpse of who Jesus was. Dwayne, why is that so important? Because if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we've got to be careful. Because it would be awful easy, if I had a pulpit, to bang it and repent, you're going to hell. Would that be true? But to think just that picture would be wrong. There are plenty of pulpits today who all they preach is the law, legalism. And that would be wrong. There's obviously ministries. All you have to do is flip on Christian television. And there are tons of ministries just built upon the miracle working Jesus. And I mean, you can, you can live like the devil Monday through Saturday. But you can show up at church and God will give you a miracle. Or some preacher will stand up and say, just touch me. And in touching me, you'll be healed. There's plenty of ministries. Where all you hear is, God is love. Live like you want to because God is love. Don't worry about hell because God is love. And a loving God would never send anyone to hell. We've got to be careful that we present 
the entire Jesus. The entire Jesus. A Jesus that does call people to change. This concept of praying a prayer doesn't hold water. Just praying a prayer. He calls you to a new life involving a rebirth, a change in who you are. He calls us to miracles. We saw a miracle in our family this week when her niece, who was curled up in a fetal position after a stroke and could not speak, and the doctor said, you need to understand, husband, this is a massive stroke. There will be severe repercussions from this. And the next day they couldn't shut her up. And she went home from the hospital walking. We serve a miracle-working God. That God is love. But God is holy. God is just. God hates sin. We've got to present that whole picture. Who do men say that I am? I'm all these things. But I'm so much more. Guys, do you know the spiritual climate of your neighborhood? Because that will determine... The strategy that you use to show them Jesus. Because we're plan A. Plan A, our to-do list is to be Jesus to this world. Amen? To be Jesus to this world. So, if you know your community, that will determine the strategy you need to use. As a church, do we know the spiritual atmosphere of Harrisburg, because that will determine how we plan on reaching Harrisburg for Jesus Christ. Our climate for our country. What role can we play as a collective body of believers and as a Southern Baptist Convention and impacting how we reach this country for Jesus Christ? It's huge implications. God wants us to be a church that knows the spiritual climate. Really. Really. Then, he wants to be a church who knows Jesus. Really. Here's what he says. So he said to them, to the group, to the twelve, but who do you say that I am? Now, you need to understand the you there is plural in the Greek. So he's speaking to the group. He's not like looking at Brent saying, so Brent, what do you think? He's not looking at Peter and saying, okay, Peter, what do you think? He's looking at the plan A. He's looking at the 12. And he says to them, so, what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who responds. And hence, we think that Jesus was looking Peter in the eye saying, Peter, what do you think? He's not. Peter just happens to be the spokesperson. Peter just happens to be the one who speaks up and says, well, this is what I think. Here's what he says. Simon Peter answered and said, this is so powerful. Try, I think David was trying so hard for you to get your arms around the power of that song. The truth of the power of that song. I wish I could somehow help you get your arms around this powerful, powerful, powerful truth of what Peter's fixing to say. Now keep in mind, he's a Jewish kid, a Jewish man, who has been brought up to look for one thing, the Messiah. The one who would come and deliver Israel. Hence the problem because they thought it would be a king like victorious king of the Roman Empire. That was confusing for them. Here's what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter said, you are 
the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And when Peter says this, he said, Jesus, I believe you are everything God has promised. You are in the flesh, embodiment, everything that God has promised us from the beginning. We believe you're the Alpha and Omega. You, we believe that you're the beginning and the end. We believe that you are the Messiah. You're the promised one. And they didn't understand about sacrificial death. They missed Isaiah 53. But Peter was pouring all his eggs in this one basket. Jesus, there's only you and we're believing you. That's incredible. You are the Christ. You're the Listen, Jesus, watch this. There are things I don't understand. I mean, you, you tell some of these, these parables, and we're all scratching our head going, what are you saying? And Jesus, I can't quite get my arms around the fact that I know you were born in Bethlehem because I heard the story. And the fact that you're God but you're flesh, I can't really get my arms around that. But Jesus, you are undeniably the Messiah. You are undeniably the Son of the living God. I can't explain it, but I just... Believe it. And I know you're here today. If you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and you say, Dwayne, the reason I haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ is that there are so many questions I need to tell you, you will never get them all answered. But you can believe. When you look at the evidence, both biblical and historical, you will come to a startling conclusion. That either Jesus Christ was a total lunatic, or he was exactly what he said he was. And I propose to you today, based biblically and historically, that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. He is the living Son of God. 100% God and 100% flesh. That's who Jesus is. Incredible. Incredible. Again, I, I can't stop telling you this. Because if I was a skeptic, this would kind of like, okay, I need to think about this. 2,100 years after an obscure carpenter, which no one should have known about, 2,100 years later, millions, billion and a half people, maybe more, have made a commitment to this carpenter, which no one... How is that possible? Because he's the real deal. No other explanation is possible. He is the real deal. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I will not sell you church. I will not sell you this church. I will not sell you religion. But I will tell you that 35, 36 years ago for me, I met Jesus Christ. And He is real. And I've got witnesses in this room. Can I have a few witnesses this morning? Amen? We met him. We know him. Now, here's what's cool. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Jesus answered, said to him, Blessed are you, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven. Peter, you are so right. 
That is exactly who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the living God. But Peter, you've got to understand a huge principle. Is that you did not come to that conclusion on your own. That my Father caused you to know that. Now that's really important. Because in the Gospel of John, in chapter uh, uh, 644... Here's what Jesus said. No man can come to me unless the Father draw him. Now, if you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, this time is yours. This is for you. Because I know we do. You say, Dwayne, when I was a kid, I went to Saint school, and I know a little bit about the Jesus thing. And, you know, I really think it's probably true. But I've got a few wild oats to sow. And when I get to be, like, old like you, we'll talk. Or, or there'll be someone even more intense than that and say, you know what, Dwayne, I believe this, but I've got these things, these habits I've just got to get rid of before I do the Jesus thing. Some of you at the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And some of you will say, not this week, but tomorrow, the next week. Here's the frightening thing. First off, I can't guarantee there'll be a tomorrow. Not one person here can tell me dead certain that you're not going to die today. I mean, I was, I was, I, I, my mouth already got me in trouble a couple times today. I accidentally called Laverne the old ladies class. Was not a good thing. I forgot to tell her the Laverne. I forgot to tell you that old was an acronym and it stood for optimistic, loyal, and devoted. I walked up to a table. And all I heard the tell them, I was just one of those good moods, you know. I was cutting the fool. And, and this lady was sitting there, and she was talking about something about a person she died. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't hear a person. I just heard, died. And I said, you mean like stone cold dead? And it turned out she was talking about a lady who died in the emergency room in a car wreck yesterday. Some person forced him off the road, and one died, and one was helicoptered. And they had no idea that that day they were going into eternity. And friend, you don't know. You don't know. And if this book is true, and it is, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And what determines heaven or hell is what you do with Jesus Christ. It's not skin color. It's not wealth. It's not your goodness. It's not your church membership. It's not your baptism. It is what you do with Jesus. So I don't know if I can, I can't guarantee you. And here's the scary part. If John 6, 44 is true, no man come to me, nobody comes to me, but the Father draw him. I know it's pulled from the Old Testament. I don't dare want to presume upon pulling a big doctrine out of the Old Testament by itself solo. But the truth is, you know, God once said that my spirit will always strive with man. I know I can testify of people in my 28 years of ministry that God stopped calling. You come when God calls, not when you want to come. And the truth is, if God's speaking now, you need to come now. Because God may not always be knocking on your heart's door. Simon, you didn't come to this conclusion. You didn't end up in church today. If you're listening on the radio, you didn't tune in today accidentally. God is saying, if you don't know Him personally as Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, this is your day to say yes to Jesus. He's given you this opportunity. Now, I'm on, you know my testimony, some of you do. 
21 years in the church, lost. So if you say, well, Dwayne, I've got church membership, that's cool. But do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Then there's this other part. That's, that's true for being forgiven for, if you will, that religious term, salvation. But here's another religious term. If you know Jesus, you might get this sanctification. See, I think God reveals Jesus Christ when it comes time for our salvation. But I believe He keeps revealing Him to us throughout our journey. So we become more and more like Him. And I don't think that comes through flesh and blood. I think the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer does a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And I think it happens right here. Through this book. And we learn more and more and more and more and more about who Jesus is. And if we are going to be the know-it-all church that God wants us to be, not in the negative, judgmental, arrogant sense, but in the sense of God's plan A for Harrisburg, Illinois, for our portion of the kingdom work. Yes, he uses First Baptist, McKinley. He used the Presbyterian church. He probably uses, you know, well, he uses churches. We haven't got a corner on the market. But God's put us on Feasel Street for his part of the kingdom work. If we're going to do that, we've got to know we're born again. And we've got to know all we can about Jesus. I've been talking a lot about applications, everything. We talked about last week. That's why knowing the truth will set you free. Applying the truth will set you free. I'll go ahead and warn you. On the 24th, 24th of July, there's a whole message devoted to application is everything. But I had a new revelation. Because I'm saying, God, in so many areas of, now I'll make us feel better. In so many areas of my life, it seems like I'm hesitant to surrender to you. I know what's right and somehow end up not doing that. And then frankly, as your pastor, I see our lives collectively and I go, but God, but God, Lord, they, the word says and we're not. And I'm going, we're not applying. But then I realized something. There might be a bigger problem. It might be that we're disobedient as much as we're scripturally illiterate. We don't obey the word of God because we don't know what the word of God says. Oh, you get the casual 35 or 40 minutes from a pastor on Sunday morning. You may get a 45 minute lesson from the Sunday school teacher. But we're biblically illiterate. Let me read something to you. This is um, our Lifeway publication, Southern Baptist. Let me read something to you. Standing before nearly 700 attendees of the Read the Bible for Life conference, George Guthrie rattled off a series of staggering facts about the Bible. 25 million. Say 25 million. 25 million copies of the Bible are sold in the United States every single year. Nine out of ten. Say nine out of ten. Nine out of ten houses, homes, have a Bible in them. 
More than 400 million copies of all or part of the Bible are distributed through Bible societies each year. Staggering numbers. Nine out of ten, Brent? 400 million copies? 25 million right here in America? Dwayne, isn't that a little bit oversaturation of the Word of God? Listen to this. Despite what would appear to be scriptural saturation of biblical proportions, the number one predictor of spiritual maturity, according to a study by Lifeway, is reading the Bible on a daily basis. So the one gauge, according to Lifeway survey, when they ask people, how would you gauge a mature Christian? Um, They read the Bible every day. Okay? All right? Only 16%, that's one six, 16% of churchgoers read the Bible daily. And 25% of churchgoers don't read the Bible at all. So only 16% of regular churchgoers read the Bible daily, and 25% of regular churchgoers don't ever read the Bible. He breaks it down like this. This means that more than 50% of people who come through the doors of our churches on a regular basis only read their Bibles occasionally, perhaps one or two times per month, if at all. Even more sobering, only 37% of those who attend church regularly say that reading and studying the Bible has made a significant difference in their lives. Only 37%. So maybe we don't have an obedience problem. We have a problem that we're illiterate and what the Bible says and how that can apply to our lives. Now, I don't know. But can I tell you something? That spoke to my heart. You know why? Because I'm your pastor. And I want to get with my staff and say, guys... Get ready, Mr. Education God that you love. How can we better help our people grasp, understand, and get into the Word of God? Because let me tell you something. We, God reveals Himself through the Word. And we can only know what He's revealed. And we can only share what we know. If we don't know it, how are we going to impact our neighborhood? How are we going to impact our community? How many of y'all would love to see Harrisburg a more godly community? Raise your hands. Yeah, of course. How can we do that? How can we do that? I think it's by us, not just knowledge, but understanding what God's Word says, how we can apply it and share it with the lost world. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if anything's going to happen. But I know this. This is something very significant that God placed in my hands this week. And I know as a pastor, my burden for you is to be the most abundant, productive Christian you can be. And I believe on my heart it comes through this. It comes through this. I sat under the teaching of Beth Moore today in our class in a video. And I don't care if she's a woman or not. For you people who think women can't teach the Word of God. She's got an amazing grasp on the Word of God. And I'm sitting there just soaking this stuff in, thanking God for using that vessel to teach the Word. Folks, 
I pray as a church, we'll become that know-it-all church. That we'll know the spiritual climate of our community. Hey, you'll know the spiritual climate of your workplace. Wherever you work, who's saved, who's lost. Is it safe to, to witness at work on your lunch hour? Is it a hostile environment? Our community, are there hostile pockets that we need to be aware of? Are the folks we need to especially pray for that might be vocally agnostic? That we need to pray for them? We need to know that. We, know to ha- we need to know how, God, how do you want us to, as we can as private citizens, to impact our government through our voting? We need to be a know-it-all when it comes to spiritual climate. And we need to really know Jesus. And today the invitation is this. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we want to give you that opportunity today. Brother Brent's going to be standing down front here in just a moment. Now, I know it's, there's a good crowd today. There's probably about 320 people here today. I just want to tell you this. Jesus Christ is the most awesome thing in life. Awesome thing in life. And we would be, love to share with you that great truth. Don't have to have all the answers. You, I hope you've got tons of questions. And if we can't answer all your questions this morning, we'll come to your home and share with you about Jesus Christ where you are. Because we want you to know the Jesus that we know. Amen, church? We want that. We want that. And then, believers, believers, we are God's plan A. For whatever part of the kingdom work that Dorisville participates in, we are God's plan A. And we've got to understand and know our spiritual climate. And we've got to Know this Jesus intimately and personally. And I don't know what it means. And I, 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 I've tried over the last 11 years to be faithful in teaching the Word of God. But I want to pray and make a commitment to you and with my brother Brent and my brother David to do so even more. To do everything we can to help you in your journey with God and His Word. That's my commitment to you today. And... And you need to pray for us that God will show exactly what that means for Dorisville. Because I know this, that this book contains the answers we're looking for. Both to a lost world, but in our homes, and our parenting, our finances, our careers, our jobs. This is it. And we've got to get this in our hearts. Amen? Amen? In our hearts. Would you bow your head, please? Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Oh, thank you, Father. Fathers, we've watched your clock tick, as we heard Beth Moore talk about this morning. I don't know when you're coming, Jesus, but you are coming. The old gospel song says, signs of the times are everywhere. And Father, to some degree... As our country continues this moral drift away from you, doors are slowly closing. We think about, Father, when the youth went to Montreal and what a closed door that was. And there was a time that wasn't true. So, Father, the time to act is now. So for my friend here today who's never trusted Jesus, give them the uh, courage as you draw them this morning, as you talk to them, let them realize that unrest that they feel in their heart is you drawing them. Let them come and take Brother Brent by the hand and say, I want to know this Jesus. Can you help me? And Father, help us to be helpers today.
Father, for this dear church. Thank you, Father, for these folks. Father, thank you for the incredible things you have done over this last decade or so. And my goodness, the years before that. Thank you, God, for that. But, Father, we anxiously await what's next. Father, what do you have in mind for us in the coming days, weeks, months, and years in fulfilling your kingdom work where you've placed us? We await, Father, that answer. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.